The Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. I'm doing a series called Death by Fentanyl. And I am privileged to be here tonight with Amy Neville. She's based out of California. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. And I wanted her to visit with us this week because her son, Alexander, also known as Alex, was murdered by fentanyl poisoning. He took a pill that he did not know what was in it. Um, He thought he was taking one thing and he received another. These counterfeit pills are killing our children to the tune of hundreds of thousands each year. And most of us are not even aware of them. So tonight, I want to say thank you to Amy for being here. She and her husband, Aaron, and their daughter, Eden, who was 12 when Alex died, she's now 15, are surviving his death. She has created the Alexander Neville Foundation in his honor, and you can find that at alexandernevillefoundation.org, which I hope you will go to to learn more, and she does such great advocacy. And we're going to talk about that at the end of this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you you for being on our, thank you, Amy, for being on our new podcast series called Death by Fentanyl. And I am so grateful you've agreed to spend some time today to talk about Alexander. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. And so I'd love to start by you telling us about your family life and Alexander's growing up life, his, his first years, and how how your family adapted to all of this. Sure. So Alex, uh, like you said, he was Alex was 14 years old when he died. Uh, he's my firstborn. Uh, we worked really hard to have that kiddo. We, um, <laughs> it took three years. We tried for three years to get that kiddo. And he finally, we finally got him. And uh, my pregnancy was difficult in that I had blackouts and 
just oh, weird things. After, five, after the five month mark, I couldn't drive anymore because of the blackouts. And so uh, I needed help with that. And, uh, and I was sick every day, just, you know, rough, but I was, ha- I was so happy to be pregnant every day. Cause if I was sick and I was having these symptoms, it meant I was pregnant because we had previously had a miscarriage. So it was, uh, oh. it was always a good sign to me when I wasn't feeling well. And I, I was <laughs> a happy, even though it was tough, yes, I was a very happy pregnant lady. I always had, I had a friend who was always like, why are you not taking advantage of this? And like being, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I'm just so happy to be pregnant. I don't know. It was weird. I was so sad when, that part was over too. You know, I, I, I remember, um, the day came where the, everything on the to-do list was done. And I was like, okay, Alex, I'm ready. And like at 5 AM that next morning, I went into labor. (laughs) uh, Again, that was no easy feat. Um, I will tell you, Alex, uh, has been high maintenance from the second he was conceived. I swear with all the being sick. And then, um, it took a little while for him to finally come out. Um, I joke that he was just holding on and didn't want to come out. <laughs> he, he finally in there. Yeah, he, he, I guess he was happy in there. Came out, um, spent the first 24 hours in the NICU. It was because it, it took so long for him to come out. But we got him home. Things were, he was great. He was just a very sweet, calm baby at first. But then that turned into uh, four months of colic. That was, that was a wild ride. If anybody's had colicky babies, you know, that's, that's. Yes pretty intense. Uh, but we got through that. Um, but you know, Alex had night terrors until he was two and a half years old, which was always interesting, but they they went away, they went away and he didn't have them anymore after about two and a half, which was great. Uh, that was, that was a rough, that was also a rough patch. I felt so, it was so sad for him because when these kids have these things, you're just supposed to let, let it run its course and just be there to make sure they don't get hurt. And it's, he would get up and walk around his room, but he was really asleep. It was really wild. Um, But Alex, um, Alex is a very uh, intense kid. Like I said, early on intense, he, he loved to learn things. He would get fascinated by different subjects. When he was three years old, he found a book on the bookshelf, this Egyptology book on our bookshelf. And he was just fascinated by it, going through it, reading about mummies, you know, all the things and he could tell you everything about it. He was an Egyptologist. Oh he knew everything. We watched, you know, documentaries on Egyptology all, and he loved to know those things and share that with other people in his life. And so we knew a lot, we knew a lot about Egyptology because of Alex. <laughs> it was really great. As he got older, those, those interests turn into, um, um, the Civil War, World War II, and he always kind of thought he would grow up and be a historian at the Smithsonian or something along those lines because he yeah. he loved history so much. And like I said, he would learn these things intensely and and just share it with everybody around him. Um, I know when he passed away, a friend of mine said some some college lost a really cool professor. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And just the thought that he wanted to work in Smithsonian for such a young child to know those things. Yeah, he he had his you know his sights were set on those types of things, and uh, he at one point he was a you know Pokemon was the thing, and so he was a Pokemon <laughs> encyclopedia, of course, and he loved video games. Uh, but for Alex, video games were different. Like everybody has this image of a kid sitting on a couch playing video games not Alexander. He is standing up. If the character's jumping, he's jumping. If the character's running, he's running in place. He's breaking a sweat. I remember so many times, mom, can you bring me some water? You know, he would just be exhausted <laughs> from the games. Cause he would get, he would get so into it. 
and which was fun. But Alex, it's that kind of intensity about him that that was made him so unique, right? And that intensity about things led us to things like going to Comic-Con. We dressed as a family of assassins from the game Assassin's Creed and went to Comic-Con one year because that was his interest. We went to Lego expos and conferences because he was really into, even up until he passed away, he was really into Legos and loved to build Legos. And he loved the classic vintage sets. And um, those things are coming back around again, I saw in their catalog, but he, so we, we really, the things that we did as a family, we, um, we were really centered around Alexander's interest because his sister came along and she just loved her big brother and wanted to do everything he was doing. So it really kind of made that easy. We didn't have that divide in the household of, well, one wants to do this and the other wants to do this. It was all, all together all the time. And that, that nice. that's nice. It was really fun. It was, a, that was really sweet. Like Alex started taking fencing lessons. Eden decided she wanted to take fencing lessons. And so they had, they just had a really good time with that. Uh, the Lego, the, the Legos were really big. The, the, he taught her how to play video games. So they would sit on the couch and hang out and play. But a lot of times she'd like to just sit next to him and watch him play, you know, mm-hmm. she had a good time with that. And so that was, that was really, fun. we, like I said, we centered a lot of what we did around Alexander's interests because he had such interesting interests. Right. And that was <laughs> food. He loves sushi. Um, he liked to eat octopus sushi. He would try things like the little, uh, bugs, like crickets and things that were dried out. He'd want to try those things. He was very experimental by nature, which I guess could kind of have been maybe was his downfall, but he, he, but he loved to learn. It was all part of that learning and, and experiencing things. Like he just wanted to know what things felt like or or how things worked. And so, you know, taking things apart, maybe not putting it back together the right way, but you know, we'd figure it out eventually. Uh, very he, inquisitive child. Very inquisitive. Like sometimes, um, you know, and we would try to foster that. We would, we would really try to foster that side of him too, even though sometimes it was exhausting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, how many times do I have to hear about uh, you know, World War Two and a certain battle or whatever, but you know, I get it. I get it. it. It was fascinating to him, and so we 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 you know, toughed it out, if you will. <laughs> um, but we enjoyed it too. But he uh, his curiosity did um, is what led him to drugs. Uh, he he's the kiddo that came home. He came home from that first drug prevention week in elementary school and wanted to know more about what it meant to alter his mind and his body and what does it feel like. And so, which actually ultimately didn't surprise me given his nature, right? And so at that point, his dad and I were like, okay, we're in trouble. We need to be prepared for what, what's down the road, this experimental phase. Like we thought that's what was, what we were going to be up against. Mm-hmm. And so we set out to learn everything we could. And we had those conversations with Alexander uh, and as he got older, they became more and more mature. We were, it was always an open topic. There was nothing off limits in our house to talk about. Uh, we talked about a lot of things. And so, you know, the day came, um, Alex, uh, first started experimenting with cannabis. Um, and that was a struggle. And so this up and down struggle in our house of taking things away, losing privileges, everything you would think a parent would do. We were doing these things, you know, and spot checking social media, internet going off at nine o'clock and really trying to make sure we were doing the things that we thought we were supposed to be doing with the information we had at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then the day came in June of 2020 where things were really off. 
and he was sleeping at weird times a day. He wasn't feeling good. And so I was like, what's, what's going on, dude? Are you using something? Like, are you taking something? I please tell me, I want to take you to the doctor. No, mom, I'm, I'm, I was up late and I ate something bad, you know, and it's, he's 14, high to puberty, you know, it seems to be in line, mood swings and things were kind of in line with that. So I let it go that day, but about a day and a half later, he came back to his dad and I and said, okay, I got to talk to you guys. And this is the short story. Wow. I wanted to experiment with Oxy. I got some from a dealer on Snapchat. It has a hold on me and I don't know why. Ooh. And this is late on a Sunday and our best from that conversation, my best guess is it maybe been 10 days at the most he is in this ex- what experimental phase, right? And so the following morning, I called the treatment place to get him in and they needed to call me back with their recommendations. And so we went about our business that day. He got his hair cut. He and his dad went out to lunch, bought a bunch of candy. Uh, he was had a little eBay business where he was selling off his childhood toys, which was very sad to me. But at the same time, he was really good at it and maintained that little business and packing things up and riding his bike off to the UPS store and dropping off the packages and uh, you know maintaining a, a PayPal account. And he was he was doing well with that. And so, you know, he did all those things that day, went and hung out with friends late in the day. Uh, cause he, you know, as far as we were concerned, he could be leaving any day now. Right. And he's going to go away and it's going to be at least 30 days before we see him. Like we had this scenario in our head of how this was going to go down. And so did he. And so he went and hung out with his friends. Um, he came home about nine o'clock that night and we said good night. And that was the last time I saw him alive. <clears throat> Sometime after nine o'clock that night. He took the pill that took his life. Um, it was the fo- it wasn't until the following morning when I when I went to go wake him up to take him to the orthodontist that we knew anything was really wrong. Um, it's crazy, you know, because you look back at that day, all the woulda, shoulda, couldas, but at the end of the day, I just don't really know how this would have played out. If I really just, I mean, I just don't know. It didn't occur. We didn't know about fentanyl. No one was talking about it at the time. We thought we we had the latest and greatest information that was out there, you know, and and that's what we thought. That's what we, the things that we thought we were up against. You know, somebody stole grandma's pills and is selling them to friends. That was still very much the narrative at the time. And I'm not saying that doesn't exist anymore, but it's not as prevalent as it used to be. And I'm pretty sure in that ten days, Alex never once had a legitimate prescription oxycodone. Um, so yeah, that's the day we learned about fentanyl. Um, it, 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 and I still didn't even understand. I didn't understand it that day. I still like, I still don't understand how could he die from something, one of something that right. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so that just left us confused, you know, um, just very confused. Uh, a task force came into our home that day from San Diego to, to, talk about things and then kind of investigate, but no one was really investigating these deaths at that time either. It was, you know, just another overdose is how we were treated, which is horrific. How could you treat anybody like that? Even if it is a, you know, traditional overdose, everybody deserves some kind of respect or something to look into that. Nobody wants to die this way. Even if it's been eight, 10 years, they don't want to die. Like it, it just blows my mind that it would just be so dismissed. Um, or it felt like to me anyway, you know, because then the DEA took it over from there because that we weren't in the San Diego task force jurisdiction. So it became a case of the DEA, but it really, it didn't really go anywhere. And it's now a cold case these days. 
sorry. Um, <clears throat> so that day, um, it's crazy. It's weird because it, it's a blur, but yet you remember like the strangest details. Um, that the treatment center called me back four minutes after his time of death. Alex's time of death is 9.59 and they called me at 10.03. Oh my God. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. And like there's scenes of that day, right? Like finding him, I can see that as clear as day. Him being taken out of the house and put into the ambulance. And then of course, seeing him at the hospital. And the nurse, I, I felt so bad for the nurse. She comes in and she's like, I'm sorry, we couldn't save him. But she just breaks down. And this is during the beginning of COVID. Yeah, yeah, this is uh, due to 2020. So, you know, here we were <laughs> keeping Alex on lockdown because he has severe asthma and uh, God forbid he gets COVID. And like, <laughs> who? Oh, just that's like would have been the least of my problems at that point. So it's just, it's just crazy. It's just really it's just crazy. I mean, I could still see him in, in that. It wasn't even a room. It was this big space where plastic was taped up on the ceiling. And he, it was a, so it was a plastic walled room he was in on a stainless steel table. And I went to say goodbye. It's weird. I have two weird regrets about Alex's life. One is not spending enough time in the NICU with him when he was born. Like I should have never left his side, right? I always had like weird mom guilt over that. And number two is I should have waited for the corner to come get him. I have no idea how long I was in there with him, but it wasn't long enough. But you couldn't have known that at the time. Well, yeah, I mean, there's so much I like, you, you can't think. No, you're in such shock. You can't think. I mean, I literally went home and sat at my kitchen table for 12 hours straight. I only remember drinking something because my sister made me drink something. But I didn't, like, I don't know. I, I didn't. You're numb. Like, I was numb in that spot for 12 hours at the kitchen table. Like, just in total shock. Yes. Because you thought he was going to go to the rehab that day. Like, this was not, death blindsided us. This was not part of the plan. Like, how could he have died? Like, how could he have taken so much oxy he died? Like, I just could not understand that. Like, this does not make any sense. In fact, before they officially released his cause of death, we got a phone call from the sheriff, who's our sheriff coroner in our area. And he's like, they wanted to make sure that he didn't want to, that it wasn't suicide because there was so much fentanyl in his system. Like, even then they still, you would have thought by then they'd seen so many deaths that they would have realized that this is in line with these other fentanyl-related deaths. You know, I got the coroner's report later on. Um, somebody gave it to me. And, you know, you look at all these fentanyl-related deaths, especially in these young kids, like, and they're all just acute fentanyl toxicity, not not a poly drug intoxication. There's no, there's nothing else in their system. Like, how is it not clicking yet, you know? for the for the sheriff at that point that was december i had that conversation wow. with the that took a long time 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, because there's that many people that are dying. Like it's crazy. In 2021, where in where we lived at the time, uh, fentanyl was the number one killer of 17 and under. Um, I don't know what it is for 2022. I haven't seen those numbers yet, but I don't imagine it's changed much. As many people, as many families have contacted me that have lost somebody. So more than likely increased. Uh, God, let's hope not. <laughs> let's really hope not. Everybody I speak to, they they keep talking about how the numbers are growing so exponentially. Mm-hmm. that they just i mean it's like a race to to teach everyone mm-hmm. that this is yeah. not something to experiment with well, it is, it really is you know the first article that came out of, uh, that i saw that came out with the numbers for 2022 said oh well there's some good news the death <laughs> is only like 2% i'm like good news the fact that it's 109,000 deaths and more should be horrific news no matter what the increase or decrease if there's a decrease mm-hmm. it's absolutely outrageous it's absolutely outrageous but yeah that's where we that's what our purpose of the foundation is is education and awareness because had we had that little bit of information i mean if we had just known about fentanyl we'd probably be telling a different story right now you know but as it was we thought we were dealing with you know grandma's pills yeah that wouldn't have killed anybody that night and, and most people, even to this day, uh, like uh, Michael Gray talks about it, the paradigm shift. Yeah. I mean, we grew up thinking that we could experiment and we just can't anymore. Just can't. It, it's, yeah, you're putting your life on the line if you experiment. Yeah. And, and nobody, I think there's too many people in our country who don't even have a clue that this is going on. They might really hear the word you know, but I don't think they understand the magnitude of it. It's, it's wild. So I have, um, most of the parent education nights, there's, it always is asked, why aren't we talking about this? Why haven't we heard about this? They're, they're just in shock that this could happen. The other interesting thing I hear a lot of is too, too, from parents is, is, um, around marijuana Mm -hmm. and parents will say to me, well, what's the big deal? I did it when I was a kid and I turned out fine. It's like, well, you're right. It wasn't a big deal when you were a kid, but what your kid is getting, you know, you were getting a two to 4% THC, your kid's getting an 80%. What do you think that's doing to their brain right now? You know, and trying to rein people in around that kind of thinking. Because not to mention that it, it could be laced with fentanyl. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, and then you're risking that because it's not like our kids are getting it uh, from a dispensary or somewhere where it's gone through some kind of, what regulation or however they do it these days. I don't even know. Um, I, interesting thing happened. I had a group of college students reach out to me. How can we help in the fentanyl crisis? Okay, let's have a Zoom call. And I can tell from the way they're talking to me that that's really not what they want to talk about. So I'm finally like, okay, why don't you just, what is it you want to ask me? Just ask me. And then, <laughs> well, is it in, is, is fentanyl and marijuana? I'm like, well, you, well, you're getting your marijuana at a dispensary. So the likelihood is really low. And they're like, well, actually, no, we're not. We're getting it off the street. And I'm like, why? Why are you doing that? Well, because it's cheaper and we get a better high. I'm like, then you're, I can't, I can't answer that. I don't know. I don't know. And neither does the drug dealer. But you're putting your life on the line. Yep, you're putting your life on the line at the end of the day. Blows my mind. 
<clears throat> absolutely blows my mind, you know? And it, it was, you know, when I first started this work, I would have parents say to me, oh, no, no, um, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have a drug issue in my house. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, okay. Well, it happened in my house. So what kind of person does this happen to? You know, I had a little chip on my shoulder about it. <laughs> I got better. I'm like, okay, I can't respond like that every time, right? Because I'm just shutting people down. And I really do want them to understand. And so I tell people, you're right your kid might not do it the way Alexander did, but could your kid be the girl that's off at college? It's the it's her, you know, first year at college, first big party of the year. She has really bad menstrual cramps, wants to go to this party. Her new roommate's like, here, take this. This will help with the cramps. And she's gone. Or, you know, Catherine had a tooth pulled. Her mom couldn't afford the pain medication. Somebody gave her something for that pain and she's gone. And so parents start to really relate to that. Those and things, understand yes. that it makes sense. Like, okay, that could be my kid that could be my kid because nobody wants to admit that their kid's going to experiment. Right. Right. But at the end of the day, it's happening one way or another. And unfortunately um, these kids are, are bearing the brunt of it. You know, I had one mom talk about how she was going, her son is going to drive from Arizona to Florida, but he's just going to take Adderall. Just take <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, where's the Adderall coming from? Why is that even okay with you? Like, it's like the crazy I hear the craziest things out there craziest things um but you know I talk I talk to the parents through I talk them through it because you know what to me that's a life on the line and I have information that could help you absolutely it's wild it's absolutely wild tell us about the um well I guess I should back up before we talk sure. about all the different um, venues you've been to where you've spoken about all this with different groups, with college, with children uh, in high school and all of that. But I really would like you to tell me more about your grief. How are oh, you dealing with all of this? How am I dealing with it? Uh, you know, it's only like just past three years now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been, it's like yesterday and forever ago. Sometimes it feels like Alex was almost a dream. Like, did that really, really have that? Did we really have that 14 years? Cause, you, know, you stop and you think about certain things that happen each day. And it's like, oh, I wonder what Alex would have thought of that. Well, you can only know what 14 year old Alex might've thought of that. 17 year old Alex would be a whole different ball game at this point because so much happens you know, to adolescents in those years, they become an almost different person by the time they're 17 years old. And we never got to meet that person. So my grief, well, it's interesting. Um, doing the education and awareness, having the conversations with people, doing that work. Um, even though I'm talking about Alex, it, it keeps me in a headspace where I'm not overcome with grief all the time. That probably sounds weird because I'm talking about yeah. Alex all the time. Right. Yeah. But, but I'm sharing him with people and I'm, I'm, you know, I want, alive. I'm, yeah, I want them to learn. It's keeping me connected to him, you know? Uh, so that, but like right now I'm in a, a lull, if you will, at summer schools are just starting back up. I've done a couple of zoom calls here and there, but it's really not as much as I am normally doing. And I feel that, um, and it's, it's creeping into me and I am very emotional. Like today I'm trying to think of something I need to do. And I, it, it's very triggering and I'm crying and it, it's setting me off. But I know if I was out on the road doing these presentations, I probably wouldn't be having a day like today. <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting. And, uh, I, um, I, 
I listen, I, I'm not the type. I looked at some groups and things like that. And that's just not my jam. You know, um, I'd rather just show up, be a fly on the wall and listen to people talk about things and take the nuggets that I need and move on. Like, that's how I like to, I guess, deal with my grief or have their therapy or Eden and Aaron go on a regular basis. Um, but that's just, that's not for me right now. I'm not saying it's not ever for me, but it, it's just not what works for me, for me at the moment. I went to a, um, a grief group that was centered around folks who lost their kids to substance uh, use. Mm-hmm. But I felt like everybody was like commiserating. Yeah. And I want to, I didn't want to get stuck in that space. It wasn't, that's wasn't where I wanted to be. So I, I didn't go back. Um, um, I did meet another nice family there though, that I ran into at another thing and they had felt the same way I did. And they never went back. <laughs> so that was interesting. Uh, but, and I, I uh, I'm a yoga teacher by trade. So, um, I, I fell in love with Paul Denniston and his grief yoga classes, and I ended up taking his grief yoga certifications and those have been really good for me. That's that's the bright side, I guess. But, but there are those days where it's like, do I really have to get out of bed? You know, Alex had a, a piece of paper on his wall that said, practice rigorous authenticity, do uncomfortable work and surrender the outcome. And that do work has, is my mantra. It is, is what gets me out of bed. Um, Cause you know, sometimes the uncomfortable work is just getting out of bed. And sometimes it's getting up in front of a group of who knows how many people and and talking about Alex. So that's an amazing statement. I love that. Yeah. We didn't know, I I hadn't ever seen it, but I can't remember if it was the day he died or it was at least the day after he died. I saw this little corner of paper on his wall behind his bedroom door. And I asked his dad, I'm like, what was here? And we couldn't remember right off. But a couple months later, I was going through my husband's phone and there's a picture of this piece of paper. He wanted so, to keep that. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the mystery was solved and, and it's been my mantra ever since. So tell us about the foundation you started in his memory. Sure. So the the goal, the primary goal in the beginning of the foundation was to uh, educate teens essentially and still teach yoga. Like that's where that's what I thought I would be doing these days is here doing presentations here and there and still teaching yoga and that would be life, right? Of course, take everything I do, I have to be clear because sometimes I'll do things like podcasts or something and people are like, well, what about your daughter? I'm like, she is number one priority. Everything I do in my life revolves around what she's doing and how it impacts her life. So just to be clear, so you guys can hold those emails. <laughs> um, so that, that was kind of the vision in the beginning, right? And so from there, we set out to learn everything we could about this information or learn everything we could about the fentanyl crisis and, and what's going on. And, and after meeting with you know experts in this space, I'm like, something is still missing. Something is missing. And I'm like, I need to talk to the youth. I need to talk to the adolescents. And so I started off talk one day in November, 2020, talking to 12 to 17 year olds. And I loved it. And, uh, I continued that conversation. We now have a quarterly um, teen listening session where I get the latest and greatest information and how things have evolved. And uh, that's, um, so everything we do is informed by the youth. 
with the facts from the experts, right? Because what I, I need this to resonate with these kiddos, because if it doesn't, I'm wasting their time and mine, you know, I, I want it to, to mean something. And so from there it has evolved into, I do this all, all the, like the last, this let's say Thursday, this week, I have been inundated with requests and on the, I have 27 different presentations, conferences, schools, coalitions from now, from August 18th till the first week of November. Uh, wow. Yeah. I still have room on my schedule though. I still have room on the schedule. So if somebody needs something, I can, I, I can do this. I can do this. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, obviously 12 to 17 year olds and their families are, are my favorite people to talk to. Um, but I talked, like I said, I talked to everybody. I will, I, one of the groups is a scout troop. Uh, I love talking to scouts. Alex was a scout all the way from, you know, first grade, all the way up until he passed away. He was into scouting. Uh, my daughter, oh, nice. was, my daughter was in the first boy scout troop when they started letting girls in. So we were the, one of the first girl troops to start in the country. So it, it's been a very big part of our family. So I love talking to scouts. Uh, I will say though, middle schoolers are the, probably the best to talk to because they're, they're still open-minded, right? They, they probably haven't quite experienced this yet. They know a little bit about it. Uh, and so, but they'll ask me the questions that everybody, wait, the high schoolers are probably thinking these questions, but they're, you know, they, they don't want to ask. They're worried about judgment. Yes. Uh, I can embarrassed. usually, look, yeah, they're embarrassed. Right. Uh, but I can usually look out into a, a high school group and probably pick out who the school drug dealer is based on how they're paying attention to me. Like they're, they're hiding in their hoodies or somebody's pointing at them. Like there there's things that I can see from the stage or looking out that they don't realize that I, I can see what's happening. Ooh, but I will tell that's you, pretty, that's is, intense. Is very, I remember one, one presentation Afterwards, we're giving out these resource cards that we give out. So uh, the kids have like the suicide hotline, substance use hotline, and not necessarily for themselves, but maybe their friends pouring their heart out to them. And they're like, here, you need to call this number. You know, they could be armed for their friend. But I remember one kid, his hands are in his pockets and he looks angry and he walks by and I reach out to the card. He throws his shoulder at me and he keeps walking. I'm like, oh, I was probably bad for business this day. Yes, yes, yes. It's not good. Uh, but every time I do a high school presentation, I get at least one kid that reaches out to me afterwards. I give them all my personal contact info because, and under the, the pretense that if you don't know who your trusted adult is, call me, I'll help you. Like, let me get you there. And so I get it all. My best friend is using pills. I'm scared. What do I do? How do I get naloxone? Um, because I'm worried about my parents. Um, that one cr- is crushing. Um, these kids are doing, dealing with a lot. Um, uh, this person's bullying me on, on, on social media. Cause a huge other Avenue that I do, I got the drug prevention and awareness with the emphasis on fentanyl or a focus on fentanyl, the social media harms awareness. Um, and those again are all created with youth. They help me create everything that we do. And when I have something new, I run it by them because I might, do I sound like an old lady, you know, make sure I'm staying on track. Um, <laughs> And I have kids who'll reach out after those presentations too about contemplating suicide or just feeling lonely. And so really trying to connect them with the right resources in their area. Uh, But this fall, we're actually going to, and then we have a peer-to-peer prevention program. So that's part of that quarterly meeting. So these kids get armed with the information and now they can help each other, right? When they're in these spaces, face these decisions. And uh, because again, it might not, it's most likely not going to be 
uh, you know, every kid that's in my showing up to these meetings, but it's going to be their friends. It's going to be a cousin, a brother, sister, you name it. It's going to be somebody. Yeah, and so they're armed. They can help make informed decisions with their friend or help their friend or, or know that they need to tell. That's the always thing I tell the kids too. I'm like, you have to be a snitch. Like this isn't about stealing a candy bar from the convenience store. This is life or death. And so you have got to, um, you got to be that, be the one to do that. And that kind of comes out of, uh, after Alex passed away, his friends were, um, we're so sorry. We're so sorry because they knew, and they're doing the same things, you know, and, and that's not their burden to bear, you know, it could, it could have easily been any one of them that night, right? but it just happened to be Alex. I mean, and these other things were already set in motion. It's like, if you were watching the movie of our life, you probably could see it coming, but we didn't, you know, yeah. at that point. Um, so these, like I said, these kids reach out to me. And then the other one, we, uh, I do some elementary school presentations too, uh, in the classroom setting though. And we talk about body autonomy and then uh, the kids talk about things that they're going to do to keep themselves healthy and not taking medicines because, um, that aren't theirs and all the, the various things that come along with that. And then I'll ask them for examples of maybe a time they saw something or were concerned about something. Oh my gosh, these elementary school kids spill it. They are telling <laughs> the family secret. Oh um, my God. It, it, it's, it's a little stressful. I'm not going to lie because I'm hearing about the uncle. Oh yeah. I've seen those. I've seen some pills or they look like candy or my uncle lives with us and he has those things. And my mom or my mom's worried about my dad because my dad's drinking every single night. Like they just put it all out there and it, it's, it's crazy making it is. Um, Cause you know, I can't take them all home with me as much as much as I want to. Um, it, it's hard. It's really hard. But the other thing that happens in these spaces too, is I meet kids who've lost somebody and they're not talking about it because nobody at home's talking about it. Uh, their friends aren't talking about it, or maybe it's their friend that they know and it from a different group that's not in their school group. So the school doesn't even know about it. Um, probably one of the most heartbreaking ones is I met a girl who had lost her mom six months prior. Uh -huh. But she came to me and she felt like she found her people. Like she was crying, but excited to talk to me. And so we're having this whole conversation and she's in the foster care system now, her and her sister. Um, and of course I want to take them home immediately. <laughs> like, but she, her school didn't know. Not that it's the school's responsibility or anything, but there's probably been a shift in this child's behavior, things that are going on with her that Absolutely. no one's paying attention to. So I'm like, you have to come with me. Let's go meet your school counselor. She's the one who invited me to your school today. And so bringing them together to have conversation. And actually that young lady and I, we keep in touch. Um, That's wonderful. Me. How old is she? How old she is, is 14 now. I met her this last spring. Oh my goodness. Yeah, she's a doll she's a doll but she's happy that at the home she's in and you know i'm like you have everything you need like when sc school was starting is school starting back up i'm like do you need anything she's like no we really have everything we need we're totally prepared i'm like okay great that's good, good. wonderful i'm so gl glad she's in with a family that you know really takes care yeah. of my mom grew up in foster care so um mm -hmm. and that is in the like 60s the late 50s and the 60s so if, if you know anything about foster care in that time, it was not a good, not a good time to be in the foster care. So instantly I'm worried about this child. <laughs> like, sure, what is absolutely. But 
she's she likes where she's at oh that's so, so good and at least she's with her sister I mean they didn't get yes. separated yeah that's amazing yeah that's gosh I can't imagine I can't imagine that's got to be tough but so yeah I educate my favorite is 12 to 17 year olds but like I said I talk to everybody so of these upcoming presentations like I've got scout troops I've got uh, staff trainings for teachers I've got a couple of different conferences that I'm speaking at uh, but the bulk of them are going to be uh, school presentations that's phenomenal and so needed I mean so needed yeah, I, I'm grateful to have the work. I'm not grateful. At the, I mean, like, let me be very clear. I would trade it all. Even those people who are like, thank you for everything. You've saved my kid's life. I would trade all of that. I mean, at the end of the day, I, only, I want my kid, right? I want my kid. I don't need to know about the rest of the world. I want my kid. And I know that's really selfish and what have you, but that's the no, reality. It's not. It's not. It's a reality. I don't want people to think I'm, ex- I'm, in, I'm excited to have the work, so to speak, but I hate at the cost it's come at. Yes, you know. absolutely. How's your daughter and husband? Um, They're okay. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, My daughter tends, tends to be, I always joke about my daughter, not Joe, not always, but I meet adults who are like, well, you know, my sibling died. We never talked about it in my house. And I'm like, my poor child is going to be complaining the opposite. Like, oh my gosh, my brother died. And that's all my mom ever talked about. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I try really hard to find that balance of not constantly. And I've stopped asking her to, I've learned to take no f- for an answer from her. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes she doesn't always want to come with me to present or do these things. And so of course I'm like, oh, but you have to, but no, you don't. She doesn't have to, she doesn't have to come it's okay it's her call and uh it's it works out really well that that way for both of us actually uh so she um she's filmed a psa uh she's done some things she she's an excellent writer she she last year she gave a speech at the arizona drug summit uh that was really great like i'm i'm really she's so smart she's always been a super smart cookie like she's Alexander's super smart and brilliant in um, the way he learns and the way he did things, but ask him about to try to do his schoolwork or things like that. Forget it. It's a, it's a nightmare. My daughter, on the other hand, it's like, oh, I did all my homework at school today. You know, before I even got out of class, I'm like, who are you? Like that. I'm more like Alex. I am more like Alexander and she is definitely more like her dad. Um, But I think the toughest time so far, it's interesting. Cause I know her grief is going to change right throughout the course of her life. And really? I want to in tune with that as best I can to make sure I'm there to pick up the pieces or whatever that's going to look like. And I was really uh, feeling the devastation of the day that she was going to become older than Alexander. Um, that was really hard. And, but I didn't want to bring that up to her because I didn't want to plant an idea in her head. Right. Uh-huh. So about, about two weeks before her birthday, she said, I don't want to have my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so what do we want to do? You're going to say 13 or we skip into 15? Like, how do you really want to handle it? And she's like, I got to think about it. Cause she didn't want to have a part- birthday party. Like she didn't want us to acknowledge it. Just let's just treat it like any other day. Well, a singer she really likes was in town and it happened to be on her birthday. So we got the concert tickets and that's how we didn't say it was birthday. We nothing birthday related. We just went to this concert or she and her dad went to the concert and, and that's how we dealt with that. And I, I think it, I think it worked out well. 
I think that was, that, that happened to work out well. Um, and, and so now she's at a space where no, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, you know, she doesn't think it bothers her. I mean, I know it bothers her. I know that she doesn't get close to people. She doesn't want to invite people over, you know, I, I, and I get it because she's, you're finding her own right now. She wants to have her own identity. And if she comes, if she brings people to the house, there's pictures of Alex and her everywhere, you know, and that's going to be like, wait, where, who is this mystery person? Right. Sure. Um, because we live in a different uh, community now and everything since um, Alex has passed away. So she knows different people. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. Uh, in middle school, she talked about it. She wore a foundation bracelet and a locket. Um, she had her own little business card that she wanted to have and to do all these things. And she would educate people if something came up and, but the first day of high school came around and no more cards in her backpack, no more bracelet, the locket's hanging in her room, you know, and, and that's okay. Um, she does keep Alexander's uh, school ID in her backpack mm-hmm. from his last year of school. Um, <clears throat> cause she moved into his backpack and it was in there. And so she kept it in there and, moved into each consecutive backpack with her. Um, then of course my husband is, uh, he, um, I mean, it's weird because everybody always thinks, says, you know, how relationships fall apart and all of that. And oddly enough, I don't feel like our relationship has changed. <laughs> I, I know that probably seems really weird, but we're not in this, we're not wrapped up in blaming each other. We're not wrapped up in trying to find how did this happen? Like there's we don't have that kind of drive about it. And I'm all driven about the education and awareness piece where he, he's, you know, going to work and he's doing behind the scenes stuff. He doesn't want to go out and speak. That's not what he wants to do. And so, which is, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough though, anytime he's gone out and done presentations, we get a donation. <laughs> Somebody donates to the foundation. It's been and like, that's an interesting phenomenon. Um, <laughs> which is great. I'm like, uh, so that's great. But he's, uh, he, he meditates. He, uh, like I said, he, he sees a therapist regularly to, to deal with, to deal with the, you know, he, the overwhelmed feelings that we get. Um, but we were pretty clear with each other up front to him. Like, I don't have space for your grief. Like I got my, my grief and I've got my daughter's grief. I don't have room in here. Doesn't mean I'm going to neglect him, but I'm not going to be able to be there for him in the way I might have if like he lost a family member, that's if, you know, somebody he was close to passed away, I could be there, hug him, love him, care for him and help him through that. I'm like, I, I got, I can barely get myself through some days, you know? Right. And so we, we have that understanding, um, and I, I think that's probably what keeps us somewhat sane. We don't have any expectations from each other on that level, um, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, but when those moments come up to talk, we'll we'll talk, you know, we'll remember, oh, remember when Alex did this and that, and then we'll both cry and all the things that go along with it. But, you know, Aaron and Alex used to stay up late every night together and they would watch movies or TV and um I know that's a big hole for Aaron. You know, he still, he stays up and watches it by himself now. And I'm sure that's, I know that's hard because there's that missing, that missing piece. 
you know, and they would play video games together. <laughs> you know, they would, I remember Alex would yell at him and Eden. They would get on a game together and Eden and Aaron, of course, were not as good as Alex. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, he'd get so mad at them sometimes because they couldn't keep up or do whatever <laughs> they wanted them to do, but they still had fun. They still had a lot of fun together. Um, they would eat it or Aaron and Alex would do the Legos together all the time. That was a big thing for the, both of them was building the Legos. And so it's just, it's, it's just, you know, it's a hole, it's a hole for all of us. It's, you know, and like I said, some days it doesn't feel real, you know, you, and you have to wake up, you wake up and you almost like, okay, wait a minute. Did this really happen? Am I really living? Is this really my life? You know? It's bizarre. Is that some kind of bizarre nightmare that I had? Right, right. Because that's fine. That's okay if it was. <laughs> be but, fine with me. Yeah, it'd be fine with me too. But here we are. Um, and even um, it, it's just it's just weird. My Aaron was really close with my mom too, and my husband. Uh, they have they shared the common bond of they both lost their mom when they were children. And so um, they had a nice little bond and then my mom passed away. And I think when my mom passed away, it's weird because, you know, that makes sense, right? My mom passed away. It's been almost two years ago now. That makes sense. So all my grief about her passing is wrapped up in Alexander. Oh, yes. It's such a hard, it's such a hard um, thing. And plus my mom didn't live with me. So it's almost like she could call me at any time, right? Any minute now, she might make a phone call. It's just a weird um, weird way to look at things, you know, um, it was a lot easier for me to accept my mom passing than it was for my siblings. Um, even though they were right there beside me every step of the way with, after Alex passed away, you know, planning the funeral and, and my, um, my, I had a yoga studio in Mission Viejo, California at the time, and we needed to move out. And how can I even think about that? Uh, and so my family organized that my clients amazing they cleaned out my studio put everything in storage like it, it was it was amazing the things people stepped up and did for us at that time oh, it was it was it still blows my mind that they did those things for me you know my family and and my my clients like it, it's just it, it, it's interesting it's interesting to see who comes out you know and those who disappear too right Oh, yes. I mean, the ones that, that just, that just, they'll say the nice things at the funeral. I'll always be just, are, are you, you. Is there anything I can do for you? I'll be here. And then they just kind of exit stage left. Or, you know, I had a friend who, um, friend with for years, she's very close with my kids. Alex passed away and she was right there for me. She took me on a walk. She made sure I was there. And then it's just like, poof, she's gone. I haven't talked to her in two and a half years, maybe two years. A lot of times people are afraid that it's going to happen to them. Yeah. And I love her daughter. Her daughter's amazing. I've ran into her daughter a couple of times presenting at their high school. And of course she, she and I talk and whatever, but it, it's sad. It's, that's a whole other loss, you know? Um, Absolutely. But I, but she was also close with my kids. So to see me, it's just a reminder that somebody she cared about is gone. So I can, I can understand that. I know people give pe people in my position will give other people a hard time. Well, this person's like, oh yeah, you have to get over it or you need to move on or whatever crazy dumb thing people say to us, but that's not their fault. 
either. It's awkward. They, they, they do want what's best for us. You know, they just want us to be happy. And so they end up saying something that they probably even don't really mean because they just don't know what to say. That's you know? right. They don't. Uh, and it doesn't usually come out well. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, my and and my my dad's been one that stepped in it a couple of times. And he always apologizes <laughs> to me. Um, you know, in the beginning, right early on, not even the day of Alexander's funeral, he says, "Well, Amy, God needed him." I'm like, "Dad, Dad, I need him." I was like, "Whoo!" And then later on, he's like, "How do I said that? I was dumb. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't." At least he acknowledged it. But it was just a moment. And then there was another time where he's, um. I was talking about all everything I've been doing. He's like, well, that's your calling. I said, yeah, but what about those that lose their kid and don't do these things? He's like, well, then they missed the call. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. That's not fair. That's not fair to them. Like that, I don't, I don't believe that for a second that that's how that works. Because well, he's like, everybody's cut out to do this. <laughs> I'm like, and never, not everybody has that kind of strength to be. An and I don't think anybody, I don't recommend it. <laughs> I do not recommend doing it's hard. it. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And it's frustrating because you talk to these politicians who, who, you know, they, they want to do all these things, but then they really end up, don't end up doing anything at the end of the day. Yeah. And that's frustrating. Uh, and then you talk to people like, okay, here's what I want to do to help. Da, 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 and then they disappear. Um, the only people that I, in, in this space that can call me and say, Hey, I want to get involved. I want to do something and then not show up and me be okay with it is another bereaved parent. Because you know what, that moment when we talked, they were ready to do it that day when the day came, whatever it is, overtook them. And they, they had, had the strength in the they, beginning. They have an excuse and I will be here for them when they are ready to come back and try again. Yeah, absolutely. But everybody else, if you, if you, they don't a, get a pass. <laughs> they don't get a pass. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's an interesting life is just weird. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Life is very weird. Life is very weird. Am I? I, you know, sometimes I think, okay, so say we were chosen, we were called, you know, to do this. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, why was that necessary? Like, you know, maybe we could have been called to do something better, but it didn't have to involve taking the life yeah. of a child. Right. Yeah. I would have done anything else. Anything yes. else. Yeah. And, and I, I feel that way sometimes. It's like, I've been doing this for a really long time. And every time I feel like I should step back, something happens and another project goes up. So I'll just keep doing it until it really, really is done for me. (laughs) That's exactly like, I will just go as long as I can. And it might be a crash and burn, but so be it. Yeah. And there's nothing to feel badly about because that's just, the way life goes, yeah. you you can't, um, you know, you can't be on mm-hmm. all the time. You can't, you know, there are just times when, like we said, life is really hard. I mean, so many other things get in the way, you know, and you just do the best you can, you know, with the time and energy that you have. Mm-hmm. 
and hopefully hopefully somebody is listening hopefully the one person that needs that is listening right yes i agree i i i just want this series to you know as time goes on more and more people will get to see it i want them to understand the devastation that this experimentation does on their family mm-hmm. how it could be their family yeah and it, it could happened. be their family just because of one error in judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, just one small error in judgment, mm-hmm. thinking that it could never affect them. Yeah, that whole not my kid mentality is, as far as I'm concerned, deadly. And we were in the space of, oh, it's going to be my kid. My kid is going to experiment and we're going to be ready for that. And we didn't have the right information anymore. So, you know, it's happening across the board. Yeah. And the numbers are just. <sighs> it's outrageous. Just the summer I had uh, from May to June, I had from May to the middle of June, I had a, a family a week call me and tell me they lost 13 and that most likely social media was involved. And what do I do? Let's talk a little bit about that. If you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, Obviously, you know, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have any of this nonsense. And now this particular um, social media, Snapchat, what makes it different if I'm correct? Please tell me if I'm right um, or wrong. Um, <laughs> you could use, because I've never used Snapchat. I just know that you use it and within a few minutes, it disappears. So there's, yeah, you get that trail. there's no trail like with Facebook. Yeah. There's no, all the evidence is gone. Right. Um, and I, let's so just that's like, what the drug dealers use, the ones that are, you know, and, and so that's how they communicate with all these yep. kids and they feel and they, safe. And they communicate across platforms too. Mm-hmm. Do they? Yeah. 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 There's a certain, yeah. They, they'll put, hit me up uh, at those like caring, whatever on Instagram, hit me up. And then there are Snapchat handles on there. Or mm-hmm. on Snapchat, it's like, hey, got this, hit me up at Telegram. Or it's a whole whack-a-mole game of where they are. But Snapchat is, uh, would be, I would consider Snapchat the largest open-air drug market that we have, especially when it comes to our kids. And there's things they can do and um, to make it better. But to do that would mean to take a hit in your profitability and but we've seen it happen, right? We've seen it happen with the automobile industry. They bounce back with, you know, regulation and seatbelts. We we saw it with the tobacco industry. They're still here. You know, we know it can be done. It just is going to take somebody with heart to make it happen. And our audience should know that these pills, these counterfeit pills, um, and the granules, the smallest mm-hmm. of granules, uh, come in from China into Mexico and are coming through our ports. Yeah, they come through our ports of entry. There's this misconception out there because everybody says border, border, border. And when we think border, we're thinking of the human trafficking border, you know, people crossing over, seeking asylum, whatever it is. But it is literally coming in through those checkpoints that the majority of it comes in through those checkpoints. I'm not saying it doesn't happen across the border. Right. It does. Um, and yes, prev- most prevalent through our southern border, but it's also coming across our northern border. It's coming in through our mail. It's coming if if you can think of any port of entry, it's coming in through that port of entry. 
all of them. And then um, the other misconception we have is that it's um, uh, uh, non-citizens bringing it in. But the reality is 86% of all of the folks trafficking it are, are U.S. citizens. So, you know. And from what I understand, they're being recruited by the cartel and they're trying to get the um, blue-eyed, blonde-haired boy. Yeah, somebody that you're not going to suspect. And look, yes, exactly. So when they cross the border, you know, the agents don't really take a second look at them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's a good market. It's a good strategy, right? <laughs> they surely do know how to do it well, unfortunately. They do. I mean... And that's the thing about the cartel. They've got the most, uh, uh, the best supply chain in the world for any business, legitimate or otherwise. So we're, we have to bear the brunt of that, you know, we're going to, we're going to fall, fall to that, you know, <clears throat> I do have to say, I appreciate you, uh, referring to this as fentanyl poisoning. That's been kind of a hot topic, hot button issue, but uh, I know that some folks who's lost their children through a traditional overdose or a traditional drug death, I, however you want to call it, um, sometimes feel like that that we're minimizing their deaths by saying ours are fentanyl poisoning. And I, I don't agree with that. Um, I think for me, when I say fentanyl poisoning, it's, uh, it's, it gets people to listen to me. So when I, when I give presentations at schools and talk about these things, I'll talk about fentanyl poisoning and why it's important to change the language around this because we want to change stigma, right? We want people yes. to start listening. And if we want to say overdose, not my house, we don't have a drug problem. And now they've shut down and not listening. And then with fentanyl poisoning, when I'm talking to parents, especially it's a relatable term when we're, you know, what are we doing as soon as we're pregnant with our kids and preparing our house? We're poison proofing the house. We're putting poisons up in shelves. We're locking the cabinets so our kids can't get into poison. We have poison controls, phone number on our speed dial. We're ready for that moment. Our kid could be poisoned. So when I say fentanyl poisoning, a parent's like, wait, what's that? And they will have the conversation with me over saying overdose. So I think it's impactful that way. And also somebody that I, I think is amazing. She once said to uh, this guy, I was, she said, and beside what's, what's the recommend recommended dose of heroin. There isn't <laughs> one, right. Yes. And so I will talk about how, you know, that person who's been, you know, that got hooked on fentanyl, that's by design. They're being poisoned just like Alexander was, you know, their intent wasn't to die. And with fentanyl, it gets a hold of people and they just can't recover from it like they could something else. And so I think if we can start really breaking down that stigma across all types, I think we'll get further. And the unfortunate part is it's ruining cities like San Francisco and LA mm -hmm. and so many other places, you know, DC, New York, yeah. um, where people are living on the streets and doing these drugs with each other and they just they can't they can't stop i'm gonna tell you something interesting though again this kind of comes it comes back to stigma so we're working on a big event happening in new york okay. and part of that event is to distribute naloxone out to in times square right and i think it, it's looking as of today that it's going to happen the way we want it to but we were told by a prominent official in the city that no you can't give out you, we don't need you to do that because fentanyl is not a problem here. <laughs> so what do you do with that? You know, it's like, you just want to shake them and be like, how, 
how are you are you insane like are you not paying it you're not paying attention somebody else needs your job like right absolutely it blows my mind was this from the mayor's office this was not out of the mayor's office, but it is a city. It's an official. And I don't want to get into who, because I don't want to call. No, I understand. Anything, I understand. But, but um, Andrea Thomas, I don't know if you've met her yet. Anybody out not there? Not yet, but she's putting oh, this man. on. Okay, good. Because she's, she's a, she's a fighter and she's like, mm, this is not going to fly. And, and she's, she's made it happen. That's she's very good. Happen, so. Yes. I hope for her to be a guest soon. Oh, she's fantastic. I love her so much. Are you going out to the New York event? Yeah. 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 I will be with her all day that day. She and I have uh, traveled together a few times now for various events. She's the only person crazy enough that I can ask last minute, Hey, can you come to this thing with me? And she'll come. (laughs) (laughs) Amy, Amy, would you please tell us more about this event? I want people to know about it. So, uh, yeah, National Fentanyl Prevention and Awareness Day is August 21st, and that has been deemed, uh, the Senate signed a proclamation, uh, unanimously signed a proclamation saying that that is the day from now and forever. So and this is this, the U.S. Uh, Senate in D.C. Yeah, this is our U.S. Senate. Yes. So this that's exciting news. Uh uh, again, you know, I was in those meetings with Andrea. I did some proofreading, but Andrea is really the one who made that happen. Like she's always like, "We did this." I'm like, "No, Andrea, you really did this." Like, <laughs> um, she again, she just stayed with it and saw it all the way through, and and it was unanimously voted in from now and forever, which is really exciting. Because <clears throat> usually with days like this, a day, they'll they'll sign a proclamation or a resolution once right. for that. Um, but this, and this is the first time we asked for it. This is the second year, first time asked for the proclamation and it, it worked out. Oh, that's uh, great. And it's really, really fantastic. Um, and the whole day is centered around prevention and awareness, uh, really educating our communities. Uh, if you go to fa- facingfentanylnow.org, there's events on the website that are happening in communities across the United States. There's billboards all over the country right now with her, the facing fentanyl messaging. If you look at her Facebook or the, the facing fentanyl now Facebook page, you'll see where all of these things are happening. And so uh, again, Andre really put this together. Yes. She brought, so we have, there's like a founding um, board and I'm on that board. Void is on that board. Uh, Jim Ra's on that board. And, uh, but Andre is really, it's really her. She's really, I'm like, just tell me what you need me to do. Uh, she's, she's just been amazing. And I'm so grateful for her. I'm so grateful for her, but at the same time, wish we had no reason to know each other. That's very true. So, yeah. And so we'll be doing the New York. There's some events going on on the 19th. Most events are taking place on the 19th, but we'll be in New York on the 21st, distributing naloxone, starting at Times Square at 10 in the morning, uh, doing some things there, press conference. Uh, there is a billboard right there in Times Square that will be facing fentanyls for 20 minutes. Oh, that's great. So that'll be there. So that's exciting. And for our viewers, where everyone is congregating is at the ticks um, place where you go yes. to buy tickets. Yes. Um, to, to get, yeah, to watch a play on the same day. Yeah. And there'll be a facing ticks. fentanyl, a facing fentanyl flag. So look for that flag. Okay. Oh, and we will be giving so out great. a lot of stuff. And if we can't so, give out naloxone, somebody will be giving out naloxone. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell tell our audience what that does. Oh yes, um, if if you haven't heard of naloxone, uh, 
first of all, everybody should have it in their first aid kit, like, like having band-aids at this point. So uh, naloxone is a medication that if you suspect someone is having an overdose, um, they're turning blue, they're breathing weird, they've, they've just gone straight down, making gurgling sounds. Uh, this is a little, um, I'm trying to see if I have a, a display one right here, but I don't. Uh, it's a little nasal spray and you literally just spray it up into their nostril. And, Both sides? Both sides. Uh, one side. You'll do one. Okay. One. And you'll, you do not test it first because you all have used the medicine and then you give them, you're supposed to give them two minutes. And if they're not coming to you, hit them with the other one. Meanwhile, you're calling 911. You're, you're, if you're comfortable, you're administering CPR. So, you know, always get one of those little CPR masks to carry with you. And, you know, then that medicine will get between the opioid receptors of the brain and the opioid and, and put a block between it. Um, wow. Yeah the factors, you know, what's going to happen next is really dependent on how much opioids in the system or how long someone's been down for. So you really still have to call 911. You can't just give it to them and move on. Um, one of the great things about this medication is that it is one of the very few medications on the market that will not hurt you if you use it and you don't need it. So like if your dog chewed it up, you would be okay. Wow. Um, that's very good to know. So don't panic. It's okay. <laughs> don't want to keep it in a hot car or anything like that. Um, you know, I just recommend getting it, throw it in your bag that you carry around with you all day long. And it's, it's there. Cause again, you just never know. I, I met a lady who I'm offering it to and she's like, Oh, I don't need that. I have little kids at home. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you, you, you go out into the world. Okay. This isn't about your little kids. This is about, um, being at a concert in the park and somebody goes down or you're out walking your dog and you come across somebody, you just don't know when it's going to be right. But even with little kids last year in San Francisco, a two-year-old got a hold of some on a playground and was revived with naloxone. I remember that. I remember so, that. But there's think. also been, unfortunately, a couple of cases I read where um, the baby was dropped off at the father's and unbeknownst to the mother, she didn't know he was dealing. And the child like picked it off the the table and, you know, licked it. And that was that. It's all it takes. Yeah. It's, I mean, horrifying. Just, yes. Horrible. I mean, I know coming back and the guilt she must feel is horrible, you know, too, because she didn't know. She didn't know. Just, you just don't know. And that's what we really need people to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And then also too, um, Jim Rao was talking about to get test strips mm -hmm. to um, make sure that if this is what you want to do, you know, it's in there. Yeah. You know? yeah. I, I mean, mean, we don't want you to be at that place, but if you choose to do that, you should know what's in that pill. Yeah, you should know what's in there. And then the other thing too, with test strips is to make sure you're, he probably explained that you, you really need to liquefy and test everything, the entire bag of cocaine, the entire pill. Don't just scrape off a little and test it because where that little bit you scraped off, maybe there isn't any, but the other side could be loaded. So, you know, that little part of the bag of cocaine that's been laced, maybe it doesn't have any in it. That little part didn't have any in it, but this other part of it does. So you have to be really careful and, um, and really, I mean, commit to using it. If you're going to, if you're going to use the fentanyl test strips, commit to really doing it right. Wow. Well, you have been a wealth of information. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank Is you. There anything else you'd like to discuss? Oh, I mean, if people want to reach out, 
I mean, I'm an open book on the subject. I'm happy to, like, I will come meet with people in their living room if that's what they need. So, and, it, and you know, what, how you talk to your kid, there's always, uh, you know, talk to your kid. Well, you've got to make sure you have the right information to talk to your kid. And if you need help, let me know, let me know. I'm, I'm there for you. And people can reach you at www.alexandranevillefoundation.org. There's a contact page there that you can go visit and you can learn more, more about Alex, right? Yeah, I love sure. that. It was a great page. And thank I thank you so much, Amy, for being here today. I'm, I'm so grateful that we had this conversation, learned so much. You know, I want our audience to remember that if this um, if this episode, if this conversation really resonated with you, I want you to share it. Please share it with all your family and friends. Everyone needs to know what's going on here. It's, it's so, it's lethal, it's dangerous. And as I've said in almost every episode, the days of experimenting with drugs are over. We can't go back to the way we used to use or people used to use back, you know, a few decades ago. Everybody thought they could just experiment. Oh, take a pill here. You go to a party and somebody says, oh, this will make you feel good. Try this. We can't do that anymore because we don't know what's in it, who they got it from and, you know, what could happen. We don't know that. We just don't know that. So please be informed. Thank you again, Amy. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. And for my audience, please share, like, and subscribe. Tell us what you thought. Go to the comments. I hope they'll be all good for Amy. <laughs> well, I'm not going to read them. <laughs> good one. You can let me know about it. <laughs> I'll send you only the good ones. How's that? Okay, perfect. perfect. <laughs> oh, bless you. And thank you for everything again. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.